Hey, you beautiful dice goblins, and welcome to the Goblins and Growlers podcast. If you like what you're hearing, come check us out over at patreon.com slash goblinsgrowlers, where you can find all original adventures, monsters, items, and traps, as well as bonus episodes for our actual play podcast, Quid Pro Roll, and so much more. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Goblins and Growlers podcast. I'm Brandon at Way of Brandalore on Twitter. And I'm Josh at Black Cloak DM on Twitter. Josh, I'm guessing since you're such an experienced game master, all your games go very smoothly and nothing ever happens outside the realm of what you were expecting. Oh, of course. I mean, the big thing, I think, when you're going to run any tabletop RPG is to really prepare your scripts beforehand for your players to be reading off of the whole time they're at the table so Mm -hmm. that they have zero agency over anything that happens in the campaign so that everything just runs really smoothly all the time. Yeah, I love that meme of uh, Dungeon Master creates first perfect campaign, comma, hands out scripts to players. (laughs) (laughs) That's kind of what I was referencing. Yeah, Um, I think I think the, the thing to keep in mind is that you're going to have off the rails experiences because if you weren't, that means that your players are literally playing scripts that means you've written a book (laughs) basically you've written a collaborative book Mm -hmm. um and it's just not i don't know part of the joy of tabletop rpgs is collaborating around the table and telling a new story not just the one you wrote yeah um let's just start off uh tell me about maybe your most ridiculous uh completely unplanned (laughs) off the rails experience. (laughs) So the most ridiculous experience I ever had, um, I was, I was actually very annoyed with this because I had no idea what to do with it. I was still pretty new to DMing. Um, I had not come up with a whole lot of backup plans for if the players had deviated from course, I'd basically set up an adventure that had two or three routes And the party chose, of course, route number four. Um, (laughs) This was back. This was back when I was running Pokemon Tabletop United and the group. I really wanted them to go and kind of take part in this big, like global scale adventure that was going to involve like very powerful Pokemon trainers and uh, massive teams of foes. And like there was massive destruction and things like that. And they were going to be putting a stop to it all and saving the planet. The character Mm -hmm. that I chose to put them on the hook for this to be like, hey, this is the adventure. You guys should do this adventure was an old man that I was going to have later revealed was Gaiavani of Team Rocket, a <laughs> notorious previous villain who had changed his ways because uh, like somebody else had moved in and taken over his organization. And so he was like a bad guy, but working on good guy terms. Mm-hmm. And the party instantly was like, we are all small children and we've been approached by this old, old man And he wants to tell us all of these like secrets about the the world at large. And we're concerned for our safety as small children. We were told not to talk to strangers. And this man is definitively a stranger. Did you have him roll up in a white van offering lollipops? (laughs) (laughs) No, I had him. I had him. Basically, he was like, I need Pokemon trainers who are not yet set on a specific path. 
so that I can help guide them to this path because it's going to take a lot of training and effort and you're going to have to start early if you're going to become powerful enough to usurp these others who also started early themselves. And like in my DM brain at the time, I was like, this makes perfect sense. It's going to be such an easy sell. And then this character comes up and they're like, nah, this guy is real creepy and I don't think I want anything to do with anything he's got going on. And I, I, we spent three sessions. We spent three sessions and each of them was like three hours long with me desperately trying to figure out how to get them into my world's big plot hook without just like spilling the plot out onto the table and being like, does this actually appeal to you guys or should I come up with something else? You're just having to corral them like like cattle into your plot, basically. The way I ultimately got it figured out was that uh, because I was using characters from the games, um, particularly from red, blue uh, or green in Japan and yellow, uh, what I did was I was like before one of the sessions, I was like, what characters from the games do you all recall really fondly? And one of them was like, oh, my God, if I could meet the voice actress for Misty. Wait, is Misty in this world? And I was like, Misty is absolutely in this world. And I had Misty be this like powerful, almost ninja like character with her team of water types. And, you know, Greninja was like one of her primaries at the time. Like I, I did a lot of work to be like, here's this super cool character and she's going to vouch for the old man so that the old man is not a creepy weirdo to you guys. I want to do an episode where we just talk about your Pokemon campaign. Oh, my God. Yeah, we absolutely could do that. I learned so much from that experience. And it, it was my first time GMing anything. So uh, double up on that learning because <laughs> holy crap. So like, I mean, what ended up happening? What ended up happening is after I brought Misty in to be like, oh, yeah, I'm part of this super secret team and we're trying to bring down the powers that be. Uh, I'm working with someone who used to be an enemy. They're like, wait, really? And she's like, yeah, I'm, I'm working with the guy who used to be the head of Team Rocket. And they're like, oh, you're working with Guy Avani? And she's like, yeah, he's an old, old man now. And like they were like, that's Guy Avani. Oh, man. Yeah, we'll totally take a quest from Guy Avani. And I was like, oh, my God. Three sessions. I love the Three idea. Three sessions I love the idea this that he's like. I love the idea that he comes up and he's like, I have a quest for you. And then you just have to keep throwing NPCs at them that are like, I have a similar to the same quest for you. I mean, that what I should be clear that two of the sessions, one of them was literally just them wandering out into the local woods and being like, we're going to catch Pokemon. Um, <laughs> How old were which, you? Uh, let's see. I at the time was 20, 21, maybe 22. OK. And then my friend group was all like 23 or lower. So and. Like I, I make the dramatic like we're going to catch Pokemon. They were actually doing stuff like that. They were so excited to be playing a Pokemon tabletop game. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, part of part of that was just me being like, 
Well, I don't have a quest thread for you guys because the one that I do have, you guys are like, that man's creepy. So <laughs> I guess let's go wander into the tall grass and we'll spend a session or two with that. I just like the idea of Giovanni just being like, so would you like to come into my basement for some popsicles? <laughs> no. <laughs> I tried so hard not to do that. Oh you tried God. to be the very best like no one ever was. Yes. Yes, I did. Oh, man. To catch them on your plot hook was your great test. <laughs> um, uh, so I think I think I know the off the rails experience you're going to talk about. But please, please share Please share your off the rails experience. It was a public game we were running at a brewery and it was a level 10 adventure. So everybody was like ridiculously overpowered and we were running these level 10 adventures just as kind of a lark because a lot of people don't actually get to play long enough to level their characters up like that. I had sort of a motley crew, uh, maybe like one or two of my table regulars was playing at that table and the others were other folks and... They get to this town that's sort of being like not ruled over, but like a gnome is there helping out at like high levels of government. And there's like a big threat that they're trying to fight. And, you know, they were supposed to sort of like rally the town, solve some, pro do some basic like low level quest stuff, like just, you know, help some folks out. It was sort of a rest between all the other stuff that had been going on. They end up... Um, Starting a race war um, against gnomes. Oh, my God. Yeah. It was one player in particular uh, was the, the sort of the catalyst for this one. And uh, <laughs> they ended up casting some sort of illusion spell where all the it was like a town of lizard folk, all the lizard folk, any other lizard folk they looked at, they to them, they looked like a gnome. And then there was also like some mass hypnosis type spell that made them it was either math. No, it wasn't mass hypnosis. It was just incredible charisma rolls for persuasion. <laughs> um, and I think maybe some suggestion was in there, too, just to like light the wick on the whole thing. Ended up talking. He ended up talking about how like gnomes were the real problem here. And they had like this gnome that was sort of running the town. He was the reason for all these problems. He wasn't. Um, and, uh, it turned into just a huge brawl with all the lizard folks fighting each other and, uh, thinking that they were fighting gnomes because they have been riled up to fight gnomes. And then one of the characters was like an Asmar and ended up climbing to the top of this tower and then flying down and casting some radiant light spell to make themselves seem super holy or something like that. And that sort of like got everybody to stop and, uh, because this guy was actively working against the party member who had started the whole business. Oh, my God. And anyways, ultimately got it to stop. Uh, but it ended up lasting for. Oh, and there were like it had two players. Two of the players ended up fighting against each other, too, because of it. Because like the one player that started the race war just sort of like was like, I know you all don't like it, but I don't care. <laughs> and just kept going. It was. Like in retrospect, every every aspect of it was horrible, but um, it, it's made for a fun story since then. Oh, my word. And so so it sounds like you were able to get things kind of more or less under control. But what did what was your uh, what was your takeaway from that situation? <sighs> my takeaway from that situation is. As much as I like to give players 
a little bit of rope with stupid ideas. I think in that case, perhaps I had given them like cords and cords of rope and I should have put a stop to it a lot sooner. My default stance when I'm running a game is like, I'm intrigued to see where this idea is going. And I did not in any way anticipate that's where it would go. Um, and I should have, I really should have just put a stop to it or even at a certain point been like, Nope, this never happened. We're rewinding. This is dumb. <laughs> retcon, retcon. Yeah. Because like some of the other players were mad and they had every right to be. And I was just like, ah, I'm re really sorry about that, guys. And they're like, well, you know, it wasn't totally your fault. I was like, I mean, like, you know, I didn't help. But yeah, it is. It is kind of interesting how as GMs, we end up kind of being the arbiters for conflict like that, mm -hmm. where it's like you almost you almost have to try to take a neutral ish stance so that when things like that start to occur, you can be like, nope, nope, no, no. Absolutely not. Not here. Mm -hmm. Not now. Not today. Not ever. Well, and one of the one of the things, too, is I one of the things I really hate is when like I'm just going to use this as an example is when somebody's like, well, I want to persuade this person to do this thing. And then they roll their D20 and they roll like, you know, like an 18 on persuasion. They're like, oh, it worked. I persuaded him to do this thing. And I'm like, no, no, you don't. You don't set the difficulty. Yeah. You well, don't set the resistance or anything. Well, it's not even that. It's like, I just hate it when people rely solely on the mechanics of it. It's like, oh, well, I passed this check. So that means I persuade. I was like, no, if you're going to completely change this person's opinion on something or incite them to do something, I need to know what you're going to be saying to them. Um, so like that was one of my outs, but he ended up actually doing like a really good job oh <laughs> giving, a, giving a persuasive speech about that. Oh, my God. Yeah, I think for me personally, I have hard lines in games that NPCs will not cross. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the classic example of the party walks into the king's court and they're like, uh, I want the king to give me his crown. Uh, nat 20 persuasion. Mm -hmm. And it's like, king's not giving you his crown. Are you on drugs? Yeah. He is a king. Like, <laughs> Why on earth would he do that? <laughs> There's no universe wherein the king is like, oh, he makes a good point. I'm going to give him my crown. <laughs> like, come on. And so, like, uh, I think that was a meme as well, because, you know, that situation is something that occurs on a semi-regular basis. Unfortunate as that is to say, there was a meme that was like, I like to uh, invert the expectation where that persuasion role absolutely can happen. But it's the difference between, wow, that's a really good joke. You guys are funny and throw them in the dungeons for treason. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I guess that's the way. Like for any potential like off the rail situation, that's how you have to handle it. You sort of have to have your back door to get out of it without any functional plot stuff changing and also not ignoring that the effort was made. I think that's more of a, I think that's the greater sin right there is if you just try to pretend that it didn't happen. I think that's fair. I think you definitely don't want to be like, oh, well, mm, eh. yeah, who knows? Yeah, that's like because that's always one of my like uh, it's not really like a fear, but it's always something that's in the back of my head. Um, you know this very well, having read a lot of the stuff that I write, but like I always like over plan for contingency and I'll be like, well, if they do this, <laughs> then this. But if they happen to do this, then this. 
and uh, I'll do that like four or five times. And I'm always worried that there's something that they're going to think of that I didn't think of. And there always is something that they think of that I didn't think of. And I just I don't have any like I no longer have a fear of public speaking. It doesn't bother me anymore in my life. But like just being sort of like caught flat footed when the players try to do something that scares me a little bit because I don't like the hesitation because I like to be able to just keep the narrative flowing to keep everybody sort of in game like that. But that's that's like my biggest worry for that kind of thing. Yeah, I completely get that. I one of my earliest campaigns I played in was a homebrew world that this guy had been working on since the 80s. Um, and it was very loosely based on second edition, mm -hmm. but he had done a lot of work on it since then. And it was continuing to develop it, which is just wild to me that he had spent 30 years working on it and was still making revisions on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. um, and he <laughs> he would come up uh, and he said this often to us. He would come up with seven different routes for things to go and we would inevitably choose route number eight. Mm -hmm. And he was like, there's just no predicting you guys. Like, it's, I've, I've tried and tried and tried and tried and I fail every time. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, I think that's when you're talking about contingencies, I think that's something really important to keep in mind is that you're going to come up with contingencies for things you would do. Right. It's almost impossible to come up with contingencies for things someone else is going to do. So the best thing you can do is come up with some like almost genre neutral things that can occur so that. You know, the party all of a sudden is so far off the beaten track that you don't even see the road anymore. Mm -hmm. And you're like, ah, well, I've got, you know, these null stat blocks and I've got a creepy old castle that I never used. So I'm just going to I'm just going to throw those in there mm -hmm. and hopefully that'll draw them in. Yeah. Just, and then you can, can go ahead. You can sometimes use that stuff to guide them back to the road. Mm -hmm. Just have them just running around in a sandbox like you like you always have to have a spur in the road in your back pocket for something like mm -hmm. that. I mean, I always exactly. just I always just move the ultimate destination. Like if they're supposed to go north, but instead they turn west at the fork. I always just move what was north to the west just to keep things rolling. Um, that's kind of crap from uh, like a player agency <laughs> kind of thing. And it very much is keeping the game on the rails. But like. A lot of that is just because of the nature of how we run games sometimes where they're in public venues and we only have like three hours to get to the end of it. Like you need to have rails in those situations. If I were doing it for like a long running campaign with my friends, I would be a lot more liberal about that kind of thing. And oh, absolutely. Because like I don't really get like like I said, I don't get really worried about players going off the rails anymore because I feel confident enough in my ability to just sort of roll with it because that's what you have to do. You have to like, you can't fight back on it. You have to embrace the chaos. Now, like I've seen a lot of advice for uh, like beginner uh, game masters and stuff like that. I see it in a lot of places. Like I see it on discord. I see it on Twitter and they're like, don't be afraid if your party, like if you're just doing this for like the first, second or third time or whatever, if your party ends up going in a direction you weren't planning, don't be afraid to say, Oh, guys, you know, like I just really didn't plan for that, uh, you know, blah, 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 blah. And like there, there are two sides to that coin. Like part of it is like, yeah, you know, first of all, the people you're playing with 
theoretically are like your friends. So they should be totally fine with that. But also like, you know, stretch yourself a little bit. If, you know, like I said, if, if the party, if you expected the party to go left, but they went right instead, like just act like they were supposed to go right the whole time, you know, it'll really build your friend's confidence in you as a game master that you can just sort of roll with it. So it's, you can it just always be right, basically. <laughs> I was going to say you can also if you're going to be that like level of brutally honest where you're like, I look, I don't have anything mm -hmm. over here. This is a completely unmapped region for me inside my own head. Yeah, uh, you can. Well, you're coming up with stuff. Have them do a little bit of like interparty role play have them do like a fire, a fireside scene or something like that, where they're really like interacting as a party. Um, well, you're like, all right, um, let's see, I could do a little bit of this. Uh, we're in this region. So I guess I could like tie this in over here uh, and like just come up with a basic framework you can build off of so that you've got something you can run. Take a bathroom um, break and then mysteriously take your pen and paper with you <laughs> for five minutes. <laughs> I think I think my biggest fear when it comes to stuff going off the rails is having those moments where I'm completely unprepared and I'm winging it as much as I can. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, getting input from players about like, oh, well, like, what if oh, what if there's like a little traveling merchant or something like what would what do you think that merchant would be called and what kind of stuff would he sell? Like I can build an interaction off of stuff like that. The thing that I get really concerned about is when I'm curating content, I can be very conscious of, you know, making sure that I'm creating something that's pretty inclusive and very user friendly and very fun to interact with, at least for me. Mm -hmm. When we're completely off the rails and I'm just winging it, there's that like little bit of me that's like, oh, no, oh, no, I hope I hope no one, especially me, says something that makes people at the table uncomfortable or unhappy. Mm -hmm. Oh, no. I mean, that can happen even if you're going the adventure is going exactly as you planned. So it's one of those like unknown knowns like it. Right. It can happen at any time, no matter what. So, like, I don't even <laughs> spend a lot of time worrying about it because it's not going to be able to change anything, you know? I mean, I try not to let it keep me up at night or anything like that. But when we start getting more and more off of the beaten path, that's when I start to get more and more nervous that like something we collaboratively create is going to make somebody at the table really upset. Mm -hmm. And like, I don't I don't want to be that person. I don't want anybody at my table to be that person. Yeah, but so there's no way I, to guard 100 percent against something like that. No, no, not at all. Not at all. And like, I think for me, the big the big thing that I do to kind of safeguard against that is when I start seeing things lean in a direction that I'm like, I'm not really kosher with that. As the GM, it is well within my rights to call that out and be like, uh, -uh mm -hmm. no, no, absolutely not. Like I've had people bring up troubling topics or describe something in a way that made me even a little bit uncomfortable. And I'll be like, not at my table. Mm -hmm. Okay. But thank you. Mm -hmm. Like, and you you only get so many warnings and then you stop playing with me like that's that's the sheer fact of the matter, because I'm I'm here to run something that's going to be fun for everybody. And if I'm not having fun, then not everybody's having fun. Yeah. Like <laughs> and sometimes that's what's required. I much prefer it. And I, you probably do, too, when you can 
sort of use the narrative to sort of get those instructions across. But sometimes people just don't get what yeah. you're doing and right. you have to be super explicit about it. Um, one thing I like to do when stuff goes off the rails and I had an off the rails experience recently when I ran a super long game for like seven hours for some folks and like they started doing stuff that I wasn't expecting very quickly. So I just kind of had to roll with it. But one of my favorite things to do, um, and I know a lot of people don't do this, but at the end of the session, I always like to talk about how the sausage was made uh, just to let folks know. Uh, just like, yeah, you know, like after this point, you guys were just completely off track and pretty much everything from there was just pure improv. And I'll admit that I do that. Like there's a small part of me that does that just so they'll be impressed with the way I was able to just sort of be like, all right, hey, we're just going to keep this rolling and it's going to feel totally natural. I don't know. I, I also think it's a way to get players into the game a little bit more by giving them sort of under the hood behind the scenes stuff like yeah you know here's kind of what i was expecting you guys to do but you did this other thing and that meant that i had to do this and uh and then there are times when it's like weirdly apparent when you're having to do stuff like that i remember like one time i don't even remember the details of the adventure but they ended up having to go to like down to a beach and they were like is there anything like a tiki bar or anything like that here and i'm like Okay, yeah, sure. There's a tiki bar here. So then they ended up having this long interaction with the bartender at the tiki bar. And I had to invent the, like it was like lobster wine or something like that. Oh, God. Yeah, And I get, it had bad status effects. <laughs> it was. That's the kind of stuff I like to lean into as far as like embracing the chaos. Like I'm just like, yeah, oh, for sure. Yeah, whatever. And like, you know, they ended up getting a magic item out of it. But it was a magic item that caused deleterious effects on their body. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think i think that's kind of it's something big for me when we started doing brewery games because the first couple of games no one knew anything about like the plot or anything mm -hmm. and then very quickly people started to realize that if you talked to people at a different table mm -hmm. about what they did uh you might find that they had a very different experience from yours mm -hmm. and it started to be a thing where after people realized that at the end of the session, when I was like, all right, and that's that's the session for tonight, people would be like, all right, how much of the book did we actually just run? Like how much how much of what was written was in our adventure? And that particularly would happen when things got really weird and kind of wacky and goofy, because mm -hmm. that is my like natural state of being mm -hmm. is to be like, uh, yeah, so you guys are talking to this squirrel and he leads you into a magical fey portal and now you're on gumdrop lane and they're like, all right, this is this is Josh's brain almost definitely where if, you know, they're climbing the wizard's tower and fighting epic monsters and things like that. They're like, this is probably less Josh's brain. <laughs> um, my favorite. Well, it's not my favorite, but it's one of my one of my favorite, like off the rails type things is something that we actually got ahead of. And it's when you developed that. Um, we've talked about this before, that snake trap. And I was like, oh, my God, I was like somebody's going to rip it out of the wall. They're going to make it a gun. We have to we have to be <laughs> prepared. We have to have some rules in there for somebody to pull this and make it a gun. We need to figure out what gun stats would be on it. I have had people approach me who had been playing at that session and ask me if they could retroactively have a snake gun at their table. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, what did your GM say? And they're like, well, they're the GM said I had to ask you because you're the only one that has the stat block for it as a gun. <laughs> and I'm like, 
this is this is one of those things that will go down in Goblins and Growlers legend because people and you did you predicted it very accurately that multiple people would just be like, I'm sorry, there is a thing in the wall and it's basically a gun that shoots snakes at people. And when I came up with it, I was like, this will be a really neat trap because like it's a snake trap and a dart trap in one and it's beautiful. And you were like, yeah, but people are going to want that and they're going to want to use it. And I was like, my first instinct was to be like, well, they can't. <laughs> and that's what we're going to tell them is that if you take it out of the wall, then the source for the snakes isn't there. And that's a problem. And you were like, that's boring and lame. <laughs> we shouldn't do that. And I was like, I was like, well, uh, you know, like we could do this. We could do that. And I think the two of us together, we came up with something that was just ridiculous enough that a bunch of people were very excited about it without being so ridiculous that we were like, God, what have we created? No. <laughs> Snake gun is always going to be one of my favorite accomplishments. <laughs> it was such a beautiful example of teamwork for you and I, because mm -hmm. that was the first time we developed a Liarzax dungeon. Yeah. Uh, that whole we should you know what we should do at some point is spend an episode talking about designing the Liarzax dungeons I would love to together do that. because you and I were the brain trust behind all of that. Absolutely. And I feel so good about them turning out the way they did. We can talk about that after you write that third one and it comes out. Shh. Secrets. <laughs> Secrets. Shh. Uh, yeah. No, I absolutely need to do that. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think if I've got anything else to say on uh, off the rails experiences. Well, I do. We did get a tweet. Mm -hmm. um, so Shotgun Runner Zero tweeted to us that their most off the rails experience says uh, they had two that they couldn't choose from. One was a self-inflicted fireball created a TPK. Oh, I'm sorry. I miscounted. There are three in here. Uh, a self-inflicted fireball created a TPK, which I'm sure was fun to figure out how to navigate out of. Um, the party accidentally nearly killed a god, uh, and which ended up being an entire arc. Mm -hmm. And then the final was a there was a prison break sequence where two good characters tried their hardest to get into prison. <laughs> And it was hard to watch. I can only imagine the GM when like an ill-placed fireball killed the whole party. Like, what do you do at that point? Especially if like you're maybe like two hours into what was supposed to be a four hour session. Like you're just like, well, I guess we're just going to order yep. another pizza and watch a movie. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to spend the rest of today's session rolling up new characters for next session. Yeah. <laughs> God, that's just got to be the most disheartening thing in the world. <laughs> Uh, the heroes, the heroes of legend who knew all those plot things that you guys knew uh, are now dead and you guys have to start all over again. You've all been replaced by your twin <laughs> siblings <laughs> who have very similar I think, names. I actually had an idea for Lost Minds of Fandelver. There is this section right at the beginning of Lost Minds of Fandelver, which is notorious because it is a group of goblins mm -hmm. and the goblins have abilities which allow them to increase their damage and hit rate enough that they can be very lethal for a level of party one or a party of level one characters. Mm -hmm. And 
it's notorious because so many parties have TPK'd at that encounter. And I, I have a solution for that scenario and other similar scenarios, which is if that happens, just have a same level party of adventurers roll up to that spot a couple or a few hours later <laughs> and find the corpses and like everything from the fight previously and the goblins will still be down whatever HP they were. <laughs> you, and you could you can have them like roll up whole new characters and it's as if they're restarting the whole journey. And then when they get to that point, they can be like. Oh, oh, we know what happened here. <laughs> oh, Bread Bull shoes. My players once accidentally killed another PC. He was possessed and made a run for it. Instead of trying to stop him, the party decided to just stab slash punch slash blast him. He extremely died. Oh, my God. <laughs> How is that the best solution? <laughs> I mean, I guess punching I could see if it's one of those where it's like, oh, like they get a saving roll every time you hit them. Mm -hmm. You could do the like, I'm going to punch them for the one D one plus strength damage. And that's only like three points. And hopefully they'll wake up before we punch them to death. But like <laughs> the stabbing and the blasting, it's like, what? What are you doing <laughs> with the stabbing and the what blasting and the punching? Hey, Glavin. <laughs> Glavin. <laughs> no. Oh, my God. No, she was a monk. And her first punch did like 25. Oh, my God. Damage. Oh, no. Oh. Red Bull shoes. Oh, my God. Oh, no. It's just like you punch them in the chest and their heart flies out their back. <laughs> Fist of the North Star. Oh, God, that's awful. Oh. There was no saving it. <laughs> yeah, like that's those are the worst when like there's nothing you can do. Like there's there's nothing you can do. Nope. Oh, she, no. She says, actually, that's basically what happened. Her heart got punched out of her back. Because, yeah, like you can't oh. like it happened. Like if you're going to retcon it, it has to be like a super obvious retcon. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and also like if you're going to have possession as a mechanic mm -hmm. in your game, you want it to have consequences if the other players can't like remedy the situation. Mm -hmm. But all oh right. So uh, tweet at us with your favorite off the rails situations and we can talk about them in a future episode but that's all we got for right now uh so i'm brandon uh, at way of brandalore on twitter and i'm josh at black cloak dm on twitter thank you so much for joining us well, goodbye goodbye Hey folks, as a note, we're planning on releasing episodes of GGP bi-weekly for the time being, but we've got plenty of content to go weekly, we just don't have time. If we were able to get the Patreon a bit higher, we could pay a part-time audio engineer to edit these episodes for us, and in turn, bring you content every week. Go check out the Patreon at patreon.com slash goblinsgrowlers to see what that goal looks like. Thanks so much.